Book Six, Chapter Eleven of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Six, Chapter Eleven Traits of Character. The following morning, Mrs. Mitten came with eager intelligence that the raffle was fixed for one o'clock, and, without any scruple, accompanied the party to the shop, addressing herself to every one of the set as to a confirmed and intimate friend. But her chief supporter was Mr. Dennell, whose praise of her was the vehicle to his censure of his sister-in-law. That lady was the person in the world whom he most feared and disliked. He had neither spirit for the splendid manner in which she lived, nor parts for the vivacity of her conversation. The first his love of money made him condemn as extravagant, and the latter his self-love made him hate, because he could not understand. He persuaded himself, therefore, that she had more words than meaning, and extolled all the obvious truths uttered by Mrs. Mitten, to shew his superior admiration of what, being plain and incontrovertible, he dignified with the panegyric of being sensible. When they came upon the pantiles they were accosted by Mr. Dubster, who, having solemnly asked them, one by one, how they all did, joined Mrs. Mitten, saying, "'Well, I can't pretend as I'm over-sorry you've got neither of those two comical gentlemen with you that behave so free to me for nothing.' I don't think it's particular agreeable being treated so, though it's a thing I don't much mind. It's not worth fretting about. Well, don't say any more about it, cried Mrs. Mitten, endeavouring to shake him off. I dare say you did something to provoke em, or they're too genteel to have taken notice of you. Me provoke them? Why, what did I do? I was just like a mere lamb, as one may say, at the very time that young captain fell abusing me so calling of me a little dirty fellow with no provocation if i'm little or big i don't see that it's any business of his and as to dirty i'd put on all clean linen but the very day before as the people can tell you at the end so the whole was a mere piece of falsehood from one end to t'other well well what do you talk about it for any more you should never take anything ill of a young gentleman it's only aggravating him so much the worse aggravatin him mrs mitten why what need i mind that do you think i'm to put up with his talkin of canin me and such like because of his being a young gentleman not i i assure you i'm no such person and if once i feel his switch across these here shoulders it won't be so well for him the party now entered the shop where the raffle was to be held edgar was already there he had no power to keep away from any place where he was sure to behold Camilla, and a raffle brought to his mind the most tender recollections. He was now with Lord O'Lerney, in whose candor and benevolence of character he took great delight, and with whom he had joined Lady Isabella Irby, who had been drawn as a quiet spectatress to the sight by a friend who, having never seen the humours of a raffle, had entreated through her means to look on. He languished to see Camilla presented to this lady, in whose manners and conversation dignity and simplicity were equally blended. 
While he was yet, though absently conversing with them, Lord O'Lerney pointed out Camilla to Lady Isabella. "'I have taken notice of her already at the rooms,' answered her ladyship, "'and I have seldom, I think, seen a more interesting young creature.' "'The character of her countenance,' said Lord O'Lerney, "'strikes me very peculiarly. "'Tis so intelligent, yet so unhackneyed, "'so full of meaning, yet so artless, "'that while I look at her I feel myself involuntarily anxious for her welfare.' "'I don't think she seems happy,' said Lady Isabella. "'Do you know who she is, my lord?' Edgar, here, with difficulty, suppressed a sigh. "'Not happy,' thought he. "'Ah, wherefore? What can make Camilla unhappy?' "'I understand she's a niece of Sir Hugh Tyrold,' answered his lordship, "'a Yorkshire baronet.' She is here with an acquaintance of mine, Mrs. Arlberry, who is one of the first women I have ever known for wit and capacity. She has an excellent heart, too, though her extraordinary talents and her carelessness of opinion make it sometimes, but very unjustly, doubted. Edgar heard this with much pleasure. A good word from Lord O'Lerney quieted many fears. He hoped he had been unnecessarily alarmed. He determined, in future, to judge her more favourably. "'I should be glad,' continued his lordship, "'to hear this young lady were either well established or returned to her friends without becoming an object of public notice. A young woman is nowhere so rarely respectable or respected as at these water-drinking places if seen at them either long or often.' the search of pleasure and dissipation at a spot consecrated for restoring health to the sick the infirm and the suffering carries with it an air of egotism that does not give the most pleasant idea of the feeling and disposition yet may not the sick my lord be rather amended than hurt by the sight of gaiety around them oh yes my dear lady isabella and the effect therefore i believe to be beneficial but as this is not the motive why the young and the gay seek these spots it is not here they will find themselves most honoured and the mixture of pain and illness with splendour and festivity is so unnatural that probably it is to that we must attribute that a young woman is nowhere so hardly judged if she is without fortune she is thought a female adventurer seeking to sell herself for its attainment if she is rich she is supposed a willing dupe ready for a snare and only looking about for an ensnarer and yet young women seldom i believe my lord merit this severity of judgment they come but hither in the summer as they go to london in the winter simply in search of amusement without any particular purpose true but they do not weigh what their observers weigh for them that the search of public recreation in the winter is from long habit permitted without censure but that the summer has not as yet prescription so positively in its favour and those who after meeting them all the winter at the opera and all the spring at ranelagh hear of them all the summer at cheltenham tunbridge etc and all the autumn at bath are apt to inquire when is the season for home Ah, oh, my lord, how wide are the poor, inconsiderate little flutterers from being aware of such a question! 
how necessary to youth and thoughtlessness is the wisdom of experience why does she not come this way thought edgar why does she not gather from these mild yet understanding moralist instructions that might benefit all her future life there is nothing said lord o'lerney i more sincerely pity than the delusions surrounding young females the strongest admirers of their eyes are frequently the most austere satirists of their conduct the entrance of lord newford sir theophilus gerard and sir sedley clarendell all noisily talking and laughing together interrupted any further conversation the two former no sooner saw camilla and perceived neither lady alethea selmore nor mrs burlington than they made up to her and sir sedley who now found she was completely established in the bon ton felt something of pride mixed with pleasure in publicly availing himself of his intimacy with her and something like interest mixed with curiosity in examining if edgar were struck with her ready attention to him upon edgar however it made not the slightest impression while sir sedley had appeared to him a mere fop he had thought it degraded her but how he regarded him as her preserver it seemed both natural and merited sir sedley not aware of this reasoning was somewhat piqued and taking him to another part of the shop whispered i am horribly vapoured do you know i have some thoughts of trying that little girl do you think one could make anything of her oh what do you mean cried edgar with sudden alarm sir sedley a little flattered affectionately answered oh if you have any serious designs that way incontestably i won't interfere me cried edgar surprised and offended believe me no i have all my life considered her as my sister sir sedley saw this was spoken with effort and negligently replied nay you are just at the first epoch for marrying from inclination but you are right not to perform so soon the funeral honours of liberty tis what you may do at any time so many girls want establishments that a man of sixty can just as easily get a wife of eighteen as a man of one-and-twenty the only inconvenience in that sort of alliance is that though she begins with submitting to her venerated husband as prettily as to her papa she is terribly apt to have a knack of running away from him afterwards with equal facility that is rather a discouraging article i confess cried edgar for the tardy votaries of hymen oh no tis no great matter answered he patting his snuff-box we are impenetrable in the extreme to those sort of grievances nowadays we are at such prodigious expense of sensibility and public for tales of sorrow told about pathetically at a full board that if we suffered much for our private concerns to boot we must always meet one another with tears in our eyes we never weep now but at dinner or at some diversion lord newford pulling him by the arm called out come clary what art about man we want thee come clary don't shirk clary cried sir theophilus i can't possibly patronize this shirking and they hauled him to a corner of the shop where all three resumed their customary laughing whispers you will not perhaps suspect lady isabella said lord o'lerney smiling 
that one of that triumvirate is by no means deficient in parts, and can even, when he desires it, be extremely pleasing. Your lordship judges right, I confess. I had not indeed done him such justice. See then, said his lordship, how futile an animal is man without some decided character and principle. He is everything by turns, and nothing long. Wise, foolish, virtuous, vicious, active, indolent, prodigal, and avaricious. No contrast is too strong for him, while guided but by accident or impulse. This gentleman also, in common with the rest of his tunnish brethren, is now daily, though unconsciously, hoarding up a world of unprepared-for mortification, by not foreseeing that the more he is celebrated in his youth for being a leader of the ton and the man of the day, the earlier he will be regarded as a creature out of date, an old beau and a fine gentleman of former times. But, "'Tis by reverses such as these that folly and impropriety pay their penalties. "'We might spare all our anger against the vanity of the beauty "'or the conceit of the coxcomb. "'Are not wrinkles always in waiting to punish the one, "'and age without honour to chastise and degrade the other?' "'All the rafflers were now arrived except Mrs. Burlington, "'who was impatiently expected.' Lady Alethea Selmore had already sent a proxy to throw for her in her own woman, much to the dissatisfaction of most part of the company. A general rising and inquietude to look out for Mrs. Burlington gave Edgar at length an opportunity to stand next to Camilla. "'How I grieve,' he cried, "'you should not know Lady Isabella Irby. She seems to me a model for a woman of rank in her manners, and a model for a woman of every station in her mind. The world, I believe, could scarce have tempted her to so offensive a mark of superiority as has just been exhibited by Lady Alethea Selmore, who has ingeniously discovered a method of being signalized as the most important person out of twenty by making herself nineteen enemies." "'I wonder,' said Camilla, "'she can think the chance of the earrings worth so high a price.' A footman in a splendid livery now entering inquired for Miss Tyrold. She was pointed out to him by Major Sirwood, and he delivered her a letter from Mrs. Burlington. The contents were to entreat she would throw for that lady, who was in the midst of Akinside's pleasures of the imagination, and could not tear herself away from them.' Camilla blushed excessively in proclaiming she was chosen Mrs. Burlington's proxy. Edgar saw with tenderness her modest confusion, and with a pleasure the most touching, read the favourable impression it made upon Lord O'Lerney and Lady Isabella. This seemed an opportunity irresistible for venting his fears and cautions about Mrs. Burlington, and taking the bustling period in which the rafflers were arranging the order and manner of throwing, he said in a low and diffident tone of voice, "'You have committed to me an important, and I fear, an importunate office. Yet, while I hold, I cannot persuade myself not to fulfil it, though I know that to give advice which opposes sentiment and feeling is repugnant to independence and to delicacy. Such, therefore, I do not mean to enforce, 
but merely to offer hints, intimidations, and observations that without controlling may put you upon your guard. Camilla, affected by this unexpected address, could only look her desire for an explanation. The lady, he continued, whom you are presently to represent, appears to be uncommonly engaging. Oh, indeed she is. She is attractive, gentle, amiable. She seems also already to have caught your affection. Who could have withheld it that had seen her as I have seen her? She is as unhappy as she is lovely. I have heard of your first meeting with as much pleasure in the presence of mind it called forth on one side, as with doubt and perplexity upon every circumstance I can gather of the other. If you knew her, you would find it impossible to hold any doubts, impossible to resist admiring, compassionating, and loving her. If my knowledge of her bribed an interest in her favor, without convincing me she deserved it, I ought rather to regret that you have not escaped falling into such a snare than that I could have escaped it myself. I believe her free, nay, incapable of any ill, cried Camilla warmly, though I dare not assert she is always coolly upon her guard. Do not let me hurt you, said Edgar gently. I have seen how lovely she is in person, and how pleasing in manners. And she is so young that were she in a situation less exposed, want of steadiness or judgment might, by a little time, be set right. But here there is surely much to fear from her early possession of power. Oh, that some happier chance had brought about such peculiar intercourse for you with Lady Isabella Irby. There, to the pleasure of friendship, might be added the modesty of retired elegance and the security of established respectability. And may not this yet happen with Mrs. Burlington? Lady Isabella, though still young, is not in the extreme youth of Mrs. Burlington. A few more years, therefore, may bring equal discretion, and as she has already every other good quality, you may hereafter equally approve her. Do you think, then, said Edgar, half smiling, that the few years of difference in their age were spent by Lady Isabella in the manner they are now spent by Mrs. Burlington? Do you think she paved the way for her present dignified, though unassuming character, by permitting herself to be surrounded by professed admirers, by letting their sighs reach her ears, by suffering their eyes to fasten with open rapture on her face, and by holding it sufficient not to suppress such liberties, so long as she does not avowedly encourage them? Camilla was startled. She had not seen her conduct in this light, yet her understanding refused to deny that it might bear this interpretation. Charmed with the candor of her silence, Edgar continued, how wide from all that is open to similar comment is the carriage and behavior of lady isabella how clear how transparent how free from all conjecture of blemish they may each indeed essentially be equally innocent and your opinion of mrs burlington corroborates the impression made by her beautiful countenance yet how far more highly is the true feminine character preserved where surmise is not raised, than where it can be parried. 
think but of these two ladies and mark the difference lady isabella addressed only where known followed only because loved sees no adulators encircling her for adulation would alarm her no admirers paying her homage for such homage would offend her she knows she has not only her own innocence to guard but the honor of her husband whether she is happy with him or not this deposit is equally sacred he stopped for camilla again started the irrepressible frankness of her nature revolted against denying how much this last sentence struck her and she ingeniously exclaimed oh that this most amiable young creature were but more aware of this duty oh my dear camilla cried edgar with energy since you feel and own and with you that is always one this baneful deficiency drop or at least suspend an intercourse too hazardous to be indulged with propriety see what she may be some time hence ere you contract further intimacy at present unexperienced and unsuspicious her dangers may be yours you are too young for such a risk fly fly from it my dear miss camilla as if the voice of your mother were calling out to caution you camilla was deeply touched an interest so warm in her welfare was soothing and the name of her mother rendered it awful yet thus united it appeared to her more strongly than ever to announce itself as merely fraternal she could not suppress a sigh but he attributed it to the request he had urged and with much concern added what i have asked of you then is too severe again irresistibly sighing yet collecting all her force to conceal the secret cause she answered if she is thus exposed to danger if her situation is so perilous ought i not rather stay by and help to support her than by abandoning perhaps contribute to the evil you think awaiting her generous camilla cried he melted into tender admiration who can oppose so kind a design so noble a nature no more could be said for all preliminaries had been settled and the throwing being arranged to take place alphabetically she was soon summoned to represent mrs burlington from this time edgar could speak to her no more even the major could scarcely make way to her the two men of the ton would not quit her and sir sedley clarendell appeared openly devoted to her edgar looked on with the keenest emotion the proof he had just received that her intrinsic worth was in its first state of excellence had come home to his heart and the fear of seeing her altered and spoilt by the flatteries and dangers which environed her with his wavering belief in her engagement with major sirwood made him more wretched than ever but when some time after she was called upon to throw for herself the recollection that from the former raffle her half-guinea even when the prize was in her hand had been voluntarily withdrawn to be bestowed upon a poor family so powerfully affected him that he could not rest in the shop he was obliged to breathe a freer air and to hide his disturbance by a retreat her throw was the highest the dice had yet afforded a miss williams alone came after her whose throw was the lowest miss camilla tyrol therefore was proclaimed to be the winner this second testimony of the favor of fortune was a most pleasant surprise to camilla and made the room resound with felicitations till they were interrupted by a violent quarrel upon the pantiles 
whence the voice of McDursey was heard, hollowing out, "'Don't talk, I say, sir, don't presume to say a word!' and that of Mr. Dubster angrily answering he would talk as long as he thought proper, whether it was agreeable or not. Sir Sedley advanced to the combatants in order to help on the dispute, but Edgar, returning at the sound of high words, took the ensign by the arm and prevailed with him to accompany him up and down the pantiles, while Mrs. Mitten ran to Mr. Dubster, and, pulling him into the shop, said, "'Mr. Dubster, if I'm not ashamed of you—' how can you forget yourself so talking to gentlemen at such a rate why what should hinder me cried he do you think i shall put up with everything as i used to do when you first knew me and we used to meet at mr tipton's the tallow chandlers in shug lane no mrs mitten nor no such thing i'm turned gentleman myself now as much as the best of em for i've nothing to do but just what i choose "'I protest, Mr. Dubster,' cried Mrs. Mitten, taking him into a corner. "'You're enough to put a saint into a pet. "'How come you to think of talking of Mr. Tipton here before such gentle folks? "'And where's the use of telling everybody he's a tallow chandler? "'And as to my meeting with you there once or so in a way, "'I desire you'll mention it no more, for it's so long ago. "'I have no recollection of it.' "'No?' why don't you remember fiddle faddle what's the good of ripping up old stories about nothing when you're with genteel people you must do as i do never talk about business at all mcdursey now entered the shop appeased by edgar from shewing any further wrath but wantonly inflamed by sir sedley in a dispute upon the passion of love do you always my dear friend said the baronet fall in love at first sight to be sure i do if a man makes a scruple of that it's ten to one but he's disappointed of doing it at all because after two or three second sights the danger is you may spy out some little flaw in the dear angel that takes off the zest and hinders you to the longest day you have to live profoundly cogitated that you think then my vast dear sir the passion had more conveniently be kindled first that the flaws may appear after to cure it no sir no when a man's once in love those flaws don't signify because he can't see them or if he could at least he'd scorn to own them live forever brave ireland exclaimed mrs arlberry what cold phlegmatic englishman would have made a speech of so much gallantry as to an englishman said mcdursey you must never mind what he says about the lady because he's too sheepish to speak out he's just as often in love as his neighbours only he's so shy he won't own it till he sees if the young fair one is as much in love as himself but a generous irishman never scruples to proclaim the girl of his heart though we should have twenty in a year but is that perfectly delicate my dearest sir to the several dulcinas perfectly your irishman is the delicatest man upon the earth to the fair sex for he always talks of their cruelty if they are never so kind he knows every honest heart will pity him if it's true and if it isn't he is too much a man of honour not to complain all one he knows how agreeable it is to the dear creatures they always take it for a compliment whether avowedly or clandestinely said mrs arlberry still you are all in our chains even when you play the tyrant with us we occupy all your thoughts and if you had not the skill to make us happy your next delight is to make us miserable 
for though now and then you can contrive to hate, you can never arrive at forgetting us. Contrive to hate you? repeated MacDercy. I could as soon contrive to turn the world into a potato. There's nothing upon earth, nothing under the whole firmament I value but beauty. A cheerful glass, then, said Sir Sedley. You think hardly intolerable? A cheerful glass, sir. Do you take me for a milksop? Do you think I don't know what it is to be a man? A cheerful glass, sir, is the first pleasure in life, the most convivial, the most exhilarating, the most friendly joy of a true honest soul. What were existence without it? I should choose to be off in half an hour, which I should only make so long not to shock my friends. Well, the glass is not what I patronize, said Sir Theophilus. It hips me so consumably the next day. No, I can't patronize the glass. Not patronize wine? cried Lord Newford. Oh, hang it! Oh, curse it! That's too bad! Offy, but hunting! What dost thou think of that, little Offy? Too obstreperous! It rouses one at such awkward hours. No, I can't patronize hunting. Hunting! cried McDursey. Oh, it leaves everything behind it. Tis the thing upon the earth for which I have the truest taste. I know nothing else that is not a bobble to it. A man is no more in my estimation than a child or a woman that don't enjoy it. Cards, then, said Sir Sedley. You reprobate. And dice, cried Lord Newford. And betting, cried Sir Theophilus. Why, what do you take me for, gentlemen? replied McDursey hotly. Do you think I have no soul, no fire, no feeling? Do you suppose me a stone, a block, a lump of lead? I scorn such suspicions. I don't hold them worth answering. I am none of that torpid, morbid, drowsy tribe. I hold nobody to have an idea of life that has not rattled in his own hand the dear little box of promise. What ecstasy not to know if, in two seconds, one mayn't be worth ten thousand pounds, or else without a farthing. How it puts one on the rack! There is nothing to compare with it. I would not give up that moment to be sovereign of the East Indies. No, not if the West were to be put in the bargain." "'All these things,' said Mr. Dennell, "'are fit for nothing but to bring a man to ruin. "'The main chance is all that is worth thinking of. "'Tis money makes the mare to go, "'and I don't know anything that's to be done without it.' "'Money!' exclaimed McDursey. "'Tis the thing under heaven I hold in the most disdain. "'It won't give me a moment's concern never to see its colour again. "'I vow solemnly, if it were not just for the pleasures of the table "'and a jolly glass with a friend,' and a few horses in one stable, and a little ready cash in one's purse for odd uses. I should not care if the mint were sunk under the ground to-morrow. Money is what I most despise of all. That's talking out of reason, said Mr. Dennell, walking out of the shop with great disgust. Why, if I was to speak, said Mr. Dubster, encouraged to come forward by an observation so much to his own comprehension and taste as the last. I can't but say I think the same. For money, keep your distance, sir, cried the fiery ensign. Keep your distance, I tell you, if you don't wish I should say something to you pretty cutting. Well, this broke up the party, which else, the lounging spirit of the place, and the general consent by which all description of characters seemed determined to occupy any spot whatever to avoid a moment's abode in their lodgings, would still have detained till the dinner hour had forced to their respective homes. 
to suppress all possibility of further dissension mrs arlberry put miss dennell under the care of mcdursey and bid him attend her towards mount pleasant mr dubster having stared after them some time in silence called out keep my distance i can't but say but what i think that young captain the rudest young gentleman i ever happened to lot upon however if he don't like me i shan't take it much to heart i can't pretend to say i like him any better so he may choose it's much the same to me it breaks no squares edgar almost without knowing it followed camilla but he could displace neither the baronet nor the major who one with a look of open exultation and the other with an air of determined perseverance retained each his post at her side he saw that all her voluntary attention was to sir sedley and that the major had none but what was called for and inevitable was this indifference or security was she seeking to obtain in the baronet a new adorer or to excite jealousy through his means in an old one silent he walked on perpetually exclaiming to himself can it be camilla the ingenious the artless camilla i find it so difficult to fathom to comprehend to trust he had not spirits to join mrs arlberry though he lamented he had not at once visited her since it was now awkward to take such a step without an invitation which she seemed by no means disposed to offer him she internally resented the little desire he had ever manifested for her acquaintance and they had both too much penetration not to perceive how wide either was from being the favorite of the other End of chapter eleven